I hope you've already turned your Bible to a very important passage of Scripture, one that's had a profound effect on my life. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, I'll read that for us in just a minute. Just to remind you, um, for 20 years you've allowed me the privilege to be your pastor. I'm at your beckoning call. You let me stay here, and I'm thankful for that. And who knows what the future holds? I hope you'll let me hang around a little bit longer. And so as long as you allow me to be your pastor, I think God's put on my heart a theme not for a year. As you know, every year we've been a church, we've always had these, these themes for the year. And, and I won't go through all that, I promise again, to share with you how we got to this conclusion. But three words were spoken over me in three different prayer groups that I was a part of in a 45-day period of time that led me to the thought that I believe God put on my heart of the idea of generations, that in this time that we're living, it's interesting that we just came off of this incredible study of what the future holds, because we don't, we don't know exactly what it is, we know who holds it, but Jesus telling us in Matthew 24 and 25, and then we ran over, as you remember, to, uh, to, uh, to the end of the Bible as we, we talked about this amazing ending of this in Revelation chapter 20 of how it's going to work out that in these days what we need more than anything in the world are disciples. We're not doing a good job as a church, any church, of even making converts, much less making disciples. Evangelism is incomplete till the evangelized become evangelists, and disciples are incomplete till they become disciple makers. In other words, God wants us to win people to Jesus and grow them up in their faith so they are rock solid and they can stand against the wiles of this world. And I don't think we're prepared. I'll be honest with you. I don't think we're prepared for what's coming. And we're seeing as a as a result of that, millions of people every year walking away from what they once said was their faith and not going back to it ever again. It's amazing to think of that. We're living in a nation where the average student that goes to college that claims that they're a Christian are walking out of college saying they're not a Christian anymore. And so in this world that we're living in, we need to build not just converts, people that said, well, I said a prayer when I was at camp when I was a kid, but someone who grows in their faith to the point that when they're challenged, then we're going to be challenged. They can stand up against those wiles of the world. I'm so thankful for my three daughters. They're not perfect girls. They're great girls, though. And every one of them, we poured our lives into them. And when we went to college, I remember they would come home and say, I was in a philosophy class, and the professor said, whatever. And they went, that guy's lost his mind. I was like, man, that's awesome that they knew the truth, and they've stood by the truth. And I'm so thankful that every Sunday I had the privilege to stand up and not have three daughters and two son-in-laws in this room because they have to be here because they choose to be here. Listen to me. We as Christians ought to be having a blast even in the midst of what's going on. We're the only ones that know the truth. We're the only ones that know the hope and have the hope of all of eternity. And so I pray that we can pour into every generation in this church rock-solid people. The old pouring into the new, as the Bible says, old men pouring into young men and old ladies pouring into young ladies and teaching them the things of the faith so that we will leave not just the thing better than it is, but better than it could possibly be as they challenge themselves in the future. I now stand before you not just a father, but a grandfather. And I think about them all the time. My dad always said to me, he said, son, when you have children, you worry about them. And then when they have children, you worry about them and them taking care of their children. And I understand that today. And so I believe with all of my heart, God wants me to do everything I can, as long as you let me be your pastor, to pour into every generation of this church that we become as strong as we possibly can be so that we not just make converts, but make disciples, true disciples, true followers of Christ. The first thing we said we have to do with that is we have to get grounded. We have to be grounded in God's Word and grounded in the security we have in Christ Jesus. If you don't have that, boy, you're whistling Dixie. These things I've written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. We need to be walking around every day secure that we're in Christ Jesus because of His Word. And so I, I talked a whole sermon about that. I won't go back to that, but we have to be grounded 
in God's word and grounded in who Christ is and who he is in us. Last week we came to the second part of this series of messages and talked about excellence. That we seem to put excellence in everything that we do except the body of Christ. That we give the leftovers to the church. Well, if I have time, I'll come. Well, if I have some resources left over, I'll give those to God. What if we turned it all around and said, we're going to give the best we have to God first and let him take care of the rest? I would submit to you that we'd be better at everything that we do if we put him first in every area of our lives. I believe he would bless our finances if we put him first. I think he'd bless our families if we put him first. I think he'd help us grow to be more like Jesus more if we put him first. And so doing things with excellence for the Lord Jesus Christ, not giving him the leftovers is what we talked about last week. Well, we come to the end. The end is the word neighbor. A statement I heard a long time ago, the world will not care what we know if they don't know that we care. We live in a neighborhood. Did you know that? We literally do live in a neighborhood around here. You know, we're an odd church that we're out kind of in the side of this town where there's just neighborhoods all around us, but we're to be neighbors to those around us. And so the question would be this, why does the church at Grace Point exist? And we talked about this before. You know, we're in the people business. We talked about that last week. We're in the people business now after 20 years, and in 20 years, we're still going to be in the people business. If God lets us survive another 100 years or 200 years, we're always going to be in the people business. Years ago, we recorded a commercial that actually played at the local theaters for a while where I stood on the stage and literally said this in a sermon, the church at Grace Point exists for those that are not here yet. Don't miss that. Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 to go retrieve the one that is lost. We ought to always be a church that's looking outward. We need to take care of one another. And our testimony should be those people care for one another and they love one another. But we ought to be reaching out and looking out to the needs all around us. And I wanted you to know we are that kind of church, but we can always get better. We can always improve. This church exists for those that haven't found us just yet. And we're the agents to go make sure that happens. And so... Why does this church exist? I hope there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of those reasons I hope would be that we would be a blessing to the community around us, that the people in this town would know that we love them, that they would know that we're a church that reaches out and cares for those in this town. And so we're to be neighbors. We'll talk more about what that really looks like. But, you know, today we live in a society where most people don't even know who their neighbors are. In fact, I've met people that don't even want to know who their neighbors are. They don't want to know them. They don't want to get close to them. I grew up in neighborhoods. I'm a city boy. God would, God would send me to Meridian, Mississippi, a million miles that seemed outside of town where everybody had cows and horses and all that stuff that I knew nothing about. I learned to talk about hunting, but I didn't really go hunting. And I learned to talk about fishing, though I rarely went fishing. And I learned to talk about being a country boy, but I wasn't a country boy. I grew up in a neighborhood where we always had neighbors. Our neighbors were close to us. I watched my father for years not just mow our grass, but just keep going because the lady next door was a widow, and so he would just mow her grass. And he found that the one next to them, they were getting so old, they couldn't cut their grass. They were paying somebody, so he would just cut their grass. It gave him a great excuse to get a bigger lawnmower. Can I get an amen from the congregation? <laughs> I think that was what it was really all about. He just wanted a bigger lawnmower. I grew up in a neighborhood where down the street, if I was to cut up at somebody else's house, that parent knew they had every right to take care of that little problem if they needed to. When I would wake up in the morning in the summer, I would vanish. I would ride my bicycle all over my neighborhood, and I would stay gone all day. And my dad would come home at night from work, and he could whistle so loud. He would put his fingers in the mouth. He would whistle so loud. He said, if you don't hear my whistle, 
you're in big trouble. So we never went so far away that we could not hear that whistle. We didn't just know who our neighbors were. We knew exactly, we knew how many dogs and cats they had. We knew them by first name and last name. We knew that if there was something wrong that they could take care of us and if they needed something, we would be Johnny on the spot for them there. I know that's foreign because we are in a church right now as you sit here with a neighborhood that surrounds us here that has a no solicitation policy. You know how I found that out? I got a clipboard one day and I started walking the streets of that that neighborhood in Lakewood right behind us. I walked the streets and went to doors. I said, look, I'm not asking you to come to the church at Grace Point. I'm not asking for anything from you. I just have one question. Is there any way our church could pray for you? After I went to about three houses, I had some nice people say this, say this but all of a sudden, no one started coming to the door. And I eventually made my way around where a guy came out and blessed us out and let us know there's a reason no one's coming to the door because we have called around and said, someone's in the community, don't go to the door. I said, sir, I'm just asking for, you need to get out of this neighborhood. You need to get out of here now. Across the street, no solicitation. I get it. I really do. But it's tough sometimes to be a neighbor. But against all odds, I believe God has called us to be that. So I want to talk to you about how the church can be the neighbor to this community and to those that God helps us encounter, maybe even around this world. And it comes from an amazing text of Scripture in Luke chapter 10, in verse 25, we read these words. And a lawyer stood and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And don't miss this. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, excuse me, I flipped too many pages there. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and stripped him. They stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, the priest was going down the road and saw him and passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey, it says, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him, it says. And he came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put on him his, on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which by the way is two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I return. Which of these three, it says, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell in the robber's hands? And he said to him, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said to him, go, and do the same. Well, Father, we can't possibly even understand what this passage means without your help. One of the wonderful things that we're taught in Scripture about your Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's there to illuminate the Scriptures to us. And we would ask a special favor this morning. Take these words written on this page and let them come alive. And let your Holy Spirit plant them literally in our hearts, God, so that when we leave this place, We'd be better equipped, Father, to go and live out what you've called us to do, to take this very command and get busy doing it. 
help the church at Grace Point, God, be the best neighbor it can possibly be, not just to those that are gathered here, but to those, Father, that are not here just yet. That's my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. How can we be a better neighbor to this community? Well, the first thing you'll see your outline that we have there. Let's walk through this together. The first thing we have to do is we must have a renewal of commitment, a renewal of commitment. Now, if you think about it, we live in a community right now that's surrounded by people that are lost. We think that Tennesseans are all saved. I think people that live in Cleveland think because you live in Cleveland, you're a Christian, right? It's just not true. Most likely, three-fourths of the population in the United States is lost without Christ. Most people that you pass every day, they may be members of a church. They may have said a prayer at camp when they were a kid, but are truly living out their Christian faith. Most people are not, and those people certainly are our neighbors. We need a recommitment to do what God has called us to do. We live in a community that's a place that needs that more than anything. This commitment requires all that we are. Somehow we've, I think I call it easy believism. We live in a country that has said, you know what, come to an altar, say a prayer, give your life to Jesus, ask Jesus into your heart, which by the way is not anywhere in the scriptures. Did y'all know that? Don't use that term. To make him Lord of your life is in there, but it's simply that we've said, just come and say a prayer. You got your fire insurance paid up. You're good to go and just go live your life any way you want to. Do you know that's completely foreign from the scriptures? This lawyer stands up and tries to put Jesus to the test and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Notice he didn't say, come to the altar, say a prayer, and you're good to go. Or maybe let's go one more step. Come and say a prayer and get baptized, and then you're good to go. He didn't say that. You need to hear this and hear this clearly. A call to Christ is a call to commit your life to him. Amen. All of your life to him. This is interesting. I love this passage of Scripture. Let's walk through it. He says, number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's the word cardia, as you know, in Greek. But it's in, in, I love it in Latin. It's the word viscera. It means the inward parts of who you are. It's all that you are physically. I've said this to you a thousand times, but when I tell my wife I love her with all of my heart, I'm not saying to her I love you with that pump that's in my chest. That's kind of weird, isn't it? What I'm saying is with everything I have, Am I the only man in the room that if someone put a gun to my head and a gun to any of my children, my grandchildren, or my wife, and said it's, it's either you or them, I don't have to pray about that. I don't even have to think about that. Blow me away. I give you my whole life. My heart is everything I have physically. I would do anything in my physical ability to defend my family and my loved ones. Aren't you that way? And so he says, when you love the Lord your God, you love him with all of your heart, with everything you have physically, you love him. Then he says you love him with your soul. Interesting word, suka. Suka is that word in Greek. It literally means with all of your spirit. With everything you have spiritually, you love God. And then the word strength, iskus. Iskus, it literally means this, all you have and all of your ability, with every ability you have. What a shame that all across this room this morning are talents and gifts that would bless the church unbelievably. There's just one problem. You're not willing to volunteer to do anything about it. Every ministry in this church could be a thousand times better if everybody in this room that is gifted and talented would get busy using that for the body of Christ. But unfortunately, many of you are willing to go give it to the whole world, but not give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says you love you with all of your heart, with everything you have physically, with all of your spirit, with everything you have spiritually, with all of your strength, 
That's with all of your ability. And then finally, with all of your mind, dianoia. Dianoia literally means this, with all of your intellect and all of your understanding. I'm to love him with everything I have. Does that make sense? With all that you are physically, with all that you are spiritually, that is a call to Christ, is to give him everything that you have. And oh, what would happen in the world if all of us didn't just say, well, I said a prayer. If you ask somebody, you know, why, why, do, you, why do you think when you get to heaven one day, God's going to let you in? Well, I said a prayer at an altar. Is that really what it's all about? Is there anywhere in the Word where it says, you know, entrance into heaven is saying a prayer at an altar? He says, by the way, you'll be known by your fruit. doesn't mean that we're saved because we work. It means that when we're saved, we will work for him. It'll give, you'll give him everything that you have. And so we're talking about building generational disciples. It'll start when you draw a circle around yourself and give him all that you are. Now listen to this. He then uses the word to love your neighbors yourself, pleasing. Pleasing is what that word neighbor means. Listen to this. I love this. Words are so cool. It means fellow man. We got that, right? But literally this word means outward nearness. I got to sit there and think about that for a minute. Outward nearness. I'll help that puzzle come together in just a minute, but think about that. We're called to love our neighbor outward nearness the way that we love ourselves. Let that stew for a minute. We'll be back to it in just a little while, okay? The first thing we need to see happen today in my life and in your life is a recommitment to what we know God has called us to do and to be, and that is to give him everything we have. And shame on us for not doing that. Number two, the second thing the text tells us is this, we must have a revival of compassion. A revival of compassion. In verse 29, we read these words, but wishing to justify him, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You can't trip Jesus up. It was a nice try, though, wasn't it? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among the robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed on the other side. But look at verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. Write two things down. Number one, no question about this. Genuine compassion is more than a feeling. Don't you dare miss that. Genuine compassion is more than a feeling. I can watch something on television about somebody who's going through a hard time, and I can literally tear up at my house. And feel so bad for what they're going through. But did you know that's not compassion? I've told you before, I'm a little bit of a, a weakling when it comes to this, but I can watch that gazelle being chased by the lion and they catch him or whatever it may be, and I'll just cry my eyes out. I feel so sorry for that little gazelle. That's not compassion. But it says he first felt compassion. And so the first thing I would say is compassion is more than a feeling. Number two, write this down. Compassion will move you to action. It'll move you to action. Those other two people could have gone by and thought, well, you know, I feel bad about that person going through that. I might even whisper a prayer for them. I heard something bad or somebody's going through a difficult time. I tell you what, I'll be praying for you. 
How many times have we walked by opportunities like that in our life and we think, you know, I don't want to get involved or what it may be. Listen to me. True compassion is more than a feeling. It'll move you to do something about it. And I can't tell you, in the last 35 years, I have received hundreds of phone calls from people in my churches that have said, I've identified a need. Now, you go meet it, preacher. It's not compassionate to discover needs. What is compassion is when you see a need and your heart is drawn to go do something about it to the very best of your ability. And so, you know the story behind this. Listen to me. Jewish people hated Samaritans. They didn't dislike them. They just weren't buddies. They didn't hang out at the club. They hated them. A Jewish person would never say anything positive about a Samaritan. Did you know that? It wasn't like they just didn't hang out or whatever. They despised Samaritans. And yet the Samaritan goes by after two Jews have gone by and not looked at this need and done anything about it, and he felt compassion. But he felt more than that because it moved him to do something about it. Think about this. Against all odds, against the chief enemy that you have, I got to do something about this. And you know the story. He picks him up. He tries to heal the wounds. He takes him to the inn and cares for him and leaves money to make sure he's cared for going forward. I want you to think about that for just a minute. It's one thing to feel compassion. We ought to feel compassion. That's the first step, though. It's not the last step. Many of us have stopped right there. Well, I can tell you about all the things I'm compassionate. I really care about this. I really care about that. Huh. That's really great. That's a wonderful thing. I'm glad you feel that way. George Williams, wouldn't it be great if every person in town that really cared and said they were compassionate for the cause of life decided, you know what, I'll dig in my wallet and give a couple of dollars to New Hope Pregnancy Care Center. I've often said if every church in this town would do just what this church does for New Hope, they couldn't count all the money they would have. And yet I served on the board of that organization for six years, and only a handful of churches in this town have written into their budget to give them monthly. It's amazing to me that that happens. But if you went to every one of those churches and said, do you have compassion? Oh, yeah. It's more than a feeling. I love this, this, this Samaritan. He felt the compassion, but he was moved to do something about it, right? And so he, he picks the guy up. He puts him on his beast. He takes him into town. He finds a place. He tries to help him heal up. He can't stay, so he's going to leave some money to take care of that. Think about that. He took care of the immediate need. He took care of the need that was before him. And he even thought about the need after he left. Holy cow. What would happen in Cleveland, Tennessee, if every time you discovered something that caused you to have compassion towards someone, we did something about it? What would happen? Think about it. Not just something to right now, but what if we thought about what we could do after we've done this? What we could continue to do? Many years ago, more years than I remember, Bobby Ludwig came to us and said, you know what, we found a need. We can go and feed the poor every Sunday night. And for years, how many years now, Bobby? I don't even know. Ten years? For probably ten years. And for one time, every Sunday night, there was a group from this church down there doing that. And things grow whiskers over time. But I'm so thankful. The sustaining of doing that, not just let's just go help them one time. Why don't we keep doing that? Why don't we find other ways to do that? And it's been hard to find the people to go do that sometimes. But Thinking about the ongoing need is really the thing. Think about the Samaritan and what he was willing to do for somebody that he didn't even know, that he knew that if he was awake would probably curse his very name. 
and yet he was willing to help him. It's one thing to recognize a need. It's one thing to do something about that need, but an unbelievable thing to think about that need being cared for after you're gone. Wow. Well, there's one last thing we're talking about this morning. We need to have absolute renewal of commitment to be who God has called us to be, to love him with all of our heart. Listen to me. With all of your spirit, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with everything you have, with all of your ability, with all of your mind, even your thoughts geared toward him, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have to have a revival of compassion. But one last thing, we must have a return to our calling. I'm afraid that most churches have forgotten what their calling is. Did you know our calling is not to build a big, gigantic building and, and be the most recognized organization in town and to be famous and, you know, pastors, you know, you know, they're doing their makeup and making sure they look just good. Y'all know I don't do that. Amen for that. <laughs> it's become a show, hasn't it? The average church is, I've told you this before, like a UT football game. There's 110,000 people in the seats that desperately need exercise, watching 22 men on the field that desperately need rest. Many people feel like I go to church and, and that you're the observers of the participants that are on the stage. I'm here to tell you it's not that at all. I say that those that are on the stage and those, we are the participants in this. God has a calling on your life and my life. And it's not what we're doing. It's not just going to church. It's not just throwing a few dollars in the offering plate and maybe attending a small group. God wants you to give your life to him, all of you to him, the first fruits of everything you have to him, the best you have, the most excellent things you have to give those things to him for one cause alone, to reach the lost. That's why we're here. The only reason he left you here when he saved you is you could go tell the story of somebody else. He wants this church to have an influence over this, over this community, not that we're a big church or we're a small church or we're this or they got a great band or boy, their preacher really preached. No, 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 no. We want them to know this church loves this community and wants them to know Jesus like we know Jesus. That's true compassion. And so these words... Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him, then Jesus said, go and do the same. I've lived in Cleveland now, let's see if my math is correct, about 23 years now. I've watched some things come and go since I've been in Cleveland, Tennessee. I used to really go to love the best chicken fingers I've ever had in my whole life were at Witherspoons. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Anybody remember Witherspoons? Uplift your right hand. Yeah, it was the best. All their booths needed to be replaced because the cushions were just worn out and there were holes and all that. But man, their chicken fingers were awesome, right? And Five Guys is there now, and Five Guys is okay. But listen to me, Witherspoons, right? I used to like Moe's. Welcome to Moe's. There's still one down on, on Gun Barrel in Chattanooga, by the way, if you ever want to go to them. I used to like to go to Moe's, and Moe's is now an ice cream parlor or whatever, and I guess you can go in there and do a, a title pawn or whatever if you need to next door, right? I, I kind of miss 
mows. If the church at Grace Point ceased to exist today, wonder if Cleveland would miss us. Wonder if Cleveland would even know. We would know. But would our neighbors know? And so I came to tell you today that I recommit myself and I hope with you to make absolutely sure that if this place ever ceased to exist, that this town would mourn our loss because they know that they know that they know that we love them. My friends, we got work to do. I don't know of a more loving church. If I could find it, I'd go join it. I can't find it. This is an awesome place, and you're amazing people. But we got work to do. If we're going to leave this place better than we found it, we better get busy loving our neighbors. Outward compassion towards someone that we don't maybe even know. What would happen if we give, gave our hearts and lives away to give God our best, the first fruits of our lives? What if we made the decision today that God, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind, I'm yours? And I want you to use that to help me and to help us love our neighbor. Not just love our neighbor, don't miss this, but to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. What do you think that might do to Cleveland if there was a church, this little old church, the church at Grace Point, decided to love our community like that? What if the next time we discovered a need, we didn't just feel compassion and decide we might just whisper a prayer about that, but we did something about it? I believe with all of my heart, if we were to get busy doing that, There'd be no way in the world that we could ever close our doors without our community knowing it. Who's in? Anybody? Want to help me love this community the way we should? Want to make sure there's no doubt there's one church in town that doesn't care how big their steeple is or how big the building is or how big the organization is. Doesn't matter about all that. We're in the people business, full time. And I want to step in with all that I have. It may not be much, but God's got all that I have. And I would ask you, does he have all that you are? God, this is your church. And I'm afraid, God, that this community's never going to care what we know until they first know how much we care. And I pray, God, that we would not walk past opportunities, but we would be looking for them to and fro, not just to feel compassion towards something, God, but to get busy doing something about what we see. God, I pray that the testimony of the church at Grace Point would always be first and foremost, that church loves one another, and it loves this community.
I pray, God, that you give us increase as we reach out to share the love that we have found in this place with those that need to know it. God, let us always be a church that exists for those that haven't just quite found us just yet. (laughs) And may we be the trumpet call, the clarion call, Father, to those of what we have found in Christ and what they can have too. I pray, God, that every person who's in this room can honestly say as they leave this room this morning that they have left it all on the altar, that, God, you have my heart, you have my spirit, God, you have have my strength, and, yes, Lord, you even have my mind. Take it and use it to reach our neighbors. Lord, I wish I knew what to do right now. I don't. I wish I had, Father, the the solutions. I don't, but you do. And so would you speak to your people, God? Call them to yourself. May they make a fresh commitment today, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would renew our commitment. Give us a revival, God, of compassion. But call us back, Father, to that calling that you called us to so long ago that somehow we've wandered away and forgotten why we even exist. Help us tell our community just how much we love them by the way we live our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.